Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch. Because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School. A podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And Morgan, this is the season one finale of Baywatch. Yeah, it sure is. It's been a hell of a ride to get here, but I think uh, I think it was worth it. It's debatable. Nah, nah, nah. It, <laughs> it was worth it. I mean, this is te- this is episode twenty one, titled "The End." The, sorry, the end? Question mark. Um, but we've watched twenty two episodes of Baywatch because we watched the pilot movie. Uh, it honestly doesn't feel like we've watched that much. Yet at the same time, it feels like we've watched way more than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So uh, this episode was written by Lee Goldberg and William Bramkin, who wrote a bunch of episodes this season. Uh, first, first time though this season uh, being directed by Reza Badi. Reza is an interesting director. He passed away in 2011, was born in 1930 in Iran, um, and he moved to the United States in 1955 to study film. Uh, soon after that, he'd meet Robert Altman, who basically jump-started his career. Um, no kidding. Yeah. Cr- like crazy coincidence. It was that it was one of Robert Altman's sort of like B movies. Uh, and he was the assistant director on it. Um, and then he started having more roles with Robert Altman as assistant director. Um, Interesting. But uh, Reza Badi mostly focused on TV. So he, but also in designing television opening sequences. So he developed the opening sequence for Hawaii Five-0, Get Smart, and the Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, which is kind of crazy. But also, yeah, he, between 1963 and 2006, directed over 430 episodes of television. And for this, he was honored by the Directors Guild of America for his contributions to TV in general. So kind of, oh, kind wow. of crazy. Um, now, this episode specifically was aired April 6th, 1990. Now, let's get the cat out of the bag here. Mm-hmm. This was originally intended to be the final episode of the series. Uh, yep. This show was canceled after this episode because its production studio, GTG, went out of business. This was also combined with low Nielsen ratings, um, and NBC just decided that, you know, this show wasn't going to do it. We should We should add that um, this show, you know, was started in 1989, but it, um, uh, it basically ran the gamut of the 1989 to 1990 TV season. In that TV season, there were 111 series aired on the three major networks at the time. And with all of those, they had Nielsen ratings, which, uh, as we've talked about before, Nielsen rating is, uh, random households have a box which monitor channels that people are on. And then it rates, you know, you know how many people were viewing said thing, right? So sure. Um, Baywatch averaged 10.5 as a Nielsen rating, which is about 9.6 million households per episode, which is quite a lot for today. But back then, yeah. not really. Uh, because Baywatch was the 74th out of 111 uh, in in popularity of TV wow. shows. 
Yeah. It really is wild how much there's been like inflation on those Nielsen numbers or I guess, you know, deflation, really inflation in the number of people watching shows or something, but it or number of shows, I guess, really, when you think about it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, because like a good rating these days is like three point five to five. Well, honestly, like, a three point five to five is mostly gotten by uh, either news or by um, the sports or yeah. uh or like reality. truly like event television like oh, yeah. game of thrones or something you know right like for this to be considered a flop at what did you say 9.5 a 10.5 10.5 like truly just speaks to how the tv media landscape has changed in the past two decades and or th- god three decades yeah i can wow. i can tell you um, from from watching <laughs> wrestling and from I, I do see the Nielsen ratings each week on that, even though they don't mean much. Uh, mm-hmm. Give you context in 1999 for for WWE, uh, their Nielsen rating was so high that one in four households in America was watching professional wrestling, um, which is a crazy t- statistic. Wow. Currently, uh, the highest yeah. rating they can get is about a one or maybe a 1.3 Nielsen rating. So not that high. Um, sometimes a two, but anyways, uh, additionally, every episode of Baywatch in season one was budgeted around $1.25 million. Uh, they partially contribute this to, uh, studio fees. Um, they were dealing with some of the studios and those fees are expensive and they kind of jumped up the costs. Season two was budgeted between uh, 800k and 900k per episode because they were shooting off studio lot so uh they weren't we didn't have to deal with uh a lot of those extra fees so it saved them on the budget um mm-hmm. now we should also add that baywatch has had an interesting history coming back it actually came back relatively quickly in terms of getting its contracts together so when it got canceled um douglas schwartz uh, kind of took the helm. You know, it was Gregory Bonin's idea, but Douglas Schwartz was the one who was kind of doing more of the business side of it. And he went straight to Hasselhoff and told him, I'll make you an executive producer uh, if you take a 50% salary cut. And Hasselhoff hmm. took the pay cut uh, because he believed in the show and he he really wanted to stay with it. Now, Hasselhoff had a bit of a built-in fan base uh, from Knight Rider, which I believe, Morgan, you have you have some stuff to tell us about, about Knight Rider. Oh, yeah, I sure do. Yeah, it was interesting reading about Knight Rider because it's not a show that I've ever seen before. Same. You know, I the only thing I knew about it, and, you know, to be clear, I still have not watched an episode of it, though after reading about it, I am now curious to watch some. <laughs> It was actually a, from as far as I can tell, like a surprisingly more like in-depth sci-fi type of show than I was expecting, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense when you look at kind of its history and lineage, because it was actually created by um, a man by the name of Glenn A. Larson, who is probably better known for being the original creator of Battlestar Galactica. Wait, what? Really? Uh, 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Kit, the talking car that, um, you know, David Hasselhoff drives, actually, it has a like red light bar in its grill that he deliberately modeled after the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Which I thought was fascinating. That has some odd implications, given that, like, you only see the redness <laughs> of a Cylon when you're fucking it. But, you know, okay. Wait, really? I've never seen Battlestar Galactica, so I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's like that their spine lights up when they're having sex, and that's how you know that they're a Cylon. Oh. Huh. Yeah. I knew that show was weird, but I don't think I realized how much. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the the remake of Battlestar Galactica. I think as you and I have mentioned before, it's worth it for the first two seasons and then it's not. Yeah. But yeah, a couple other things I, I found interesting about this show. One is, I mean, if you've listened to this much of the podcast, you know, I like cars. So I'm going to spend some time talking about the car or cars really in this Ooh. show because it is it's a show about a car. Yeah. Um, well, actually. It's a show about Kit, um, sure. which was a third generation Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, which was actually a practical car. Like it actually fully drove for all of this um, and was actually driven. And this is not a joke by a man zipped into a car seat with only his arms extended and covered in black fabric. So <laughs> the way he would drive when. Uh, David Hasselhoff was in the car is basically wrap his arms around David Hasselhoff and drive the car. Huh. Okay. That's, that's odd. It's very weird. It was literally just David Hasselhoff sitting on a guy's lap for the entire show. (laughs) It's, it's very odd, but I do love it. There's some great, um, video clips online that I'll have to put in show notes of where you can actually see in one or two shots like vague silhouettes of what's clearly a man zipped into a seat of a car (laughs) driving kit and it's very funny to me one of the biggest shames i feel like though is so they they ended up producing um 23 kits um some were used for stunts some were used for just you know general all-purpose filming and whatnot um, and unfortunately, at the end of filming, all but five of them were destroyed. Why? Um, it's not uncommon for Hollywood cars, unfortunately, because basically they don't want, um, like intellectual property getting out there, both in terms of like fair people being able to figure out how they did it. And a lot of the ways that cars are modified to be on screen look really bad when you see them not on screen. Fair. Like, there's some interesting reviews on YouTube of people who've gotten a hold of cars from like the Fast and Furious franchise, and they look like shit in person. <laughs> like, so I can understand why you wouldn't want to destroy that magic, but still, it sucks. Um, especially because Knight Rider actually got literally the first two ever produced of these third generation uh, Firebirds, mm. which was. Especially interesting because this was GM's real, like, first introduction into the pony car market. Um, it was between Pontiac and Chevrolet, uh, they co-developed this. And so this and the original Camaro actually shared a platform. Um, 
originally Pontiac was supposed to have a slightly more high-end sports car after basically the GTO was such an enormous hit in the muscle car market. But GM was concerned that this would compete with the Corvette. So they kind of were like, actually, you can make something a little bit worse. <laughs> um, but the Firebird was still like an incredible car for its time. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Pontiac not around anymore. But yeah, they they really were like super influential in that like early Americana car scene right. of, you know, all the, you know, big muscle cars and the pony cars and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's about all I've got on the actual car itself. Um, but to talk a little bit more about the show, I've got some, some other things that I think are particularly fun. One of them is just in general, uh, I recommend going to the Wikipedia page for Kit and reading the In Other Media section Ooh. because there are some truly great things there. Um, but I would like to read my favorite of them, which is Kit accompanied Hasselhoff when he performed on stage, singing one of his songs at Disneyland in 1985 with various Disney characters behind him as his band. What? Which is just an image that I love. I love that. <laughs> I want that. I know. I want to find, like, video of this performance somewhere, because it sounds incredible. It's probably on YouTube. It's gotta be, right? Like, how could it not? The only other thing about the original series that I want to talk about is... Or, actually, two quick things. One is that um, Kit has an evil twin named Carr, and they fight sometimes. What? And <laughs> I love how dumb that is. <laughs> it should have been Tick. <laughs> right um the other thing that i thought was very interesting is the voice of kit william daniels uh actually specifically requested that he not be credited as the voice of kit because he was doing other acting work at the time and thought that this might distract from his serious image as a sitcom actor sitcom soap opera i forget exactly what he was doing but i don't know how it would distract from your sitcom career but your soap opera career maybe but they hired everybody for soap operas right and especially like when you consider that knight rider ran for quite a long time mm -hmm. and was very popular you would think that at some point during it you'd be like actually maybe throw me in the credits there considering i'm one of the two main characters i like the idea that it ran for so long and he still had it made it and he's like nope no no nope i'm gonna do it this time <laughs> right it's so it's so weird to me um but the other thing i want to talk about with about knight rider just kind of in general um is that there was a 2008 reboot that actually only ended up running one season and actually only part of one season at that. Mm -hmm. um, it was ordered for 22 episodes, but they only ended up airing 17 before the plug was pulled on them. Um, and it stars uh, Justin Brunig as Michael Knight, the son of the original Hoff character, also named Michael Knight. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> Okay. Because as as you will learn from reading the Wikipedia page about the remake, they did not actually have any ideas. They just knew that the original was popular and wanted to make some quick money. Fair. Um the the car in the remake was a Shelby GT500KR, which is just a gorgeous car. Um 
And the only big name in the remake, at least out of the people that I recognized, um, was the voice of Kit, who originally was supposed to be Will Arnett. Oh. Um, right? That's such... I would have loved to have seen that. And what's really wild is he recorded every single line before being replaced. <laughs> Which is just, like, wow. Um, but the person he was replaced with was Val Kilmer. What? Yeah, in 2008. What? You know, the height of Val Kilmer's popularity, 2008. <laughs> Uh, to be honest, I thought you were going to say, like, John Voight or something. But, you know, that's just as wild. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to do is, so all of the episode titles of the remake are either puns or references. Um, and oh, all of no. them do include the word night, oh, but spelled no. K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, so I want to play a little game here. I've... I've got some real episode titles and some fake episode Ooh, titles. Okay. And I want to see if you can guess which is which. Okay, okay, let's do this. All right. So the first one I'm going to give you is I want to rock and roll all night, K-N-I-G-H-T. Is that is that a real episode title or is that some dumb bullshit I made up? Dumb bullshit. Nope, that's a real one. Darn, I hate it. <laughs> All right. How about uh, Night of the Iguana? Real or dumb bullshit? Real. Yep, sure is. I was like, you said sci-fi stuff. There's got to be something. There's got to be something about iguanas. <laughs> this show. Yeah, nothing more sci-fi than iguanas. <laughs> they make it work. I hope. Yeah. Um, all right. How about a night at the opera? Okay, that's, that's, that's fake. That is fake. Yes. Yeah. No, that's too easy. <laughs> yep. Okay. How about uh, fight night? Oh, real. Yep. That that is nice. indeed a real one. That's that one's perfect for an eighties TV show. Oh, it's so it's so good. Uh, except that this came out in two thousand eight. Oh um, darn! <laughs> right. Uh, the last the last two here. Um, one of them is exit light. Enter night. Yeah, that's real. Sure is. I want to know how I know that's real, because I'm like, I don't feel like there's any way Morgan is making Enter Sandman puns. Like, oh, so when I saw that all of them were puns or references, the first one I wrote down as a quote unquote fake one was Exit Light, Enter Night, and then found out it was a real one. I oh, actually wow, did really? a couple of these titles. Oh, yeah, I love Metallica. OK, didn't know that. <laughs> Look, let's continue. Uh, and then the last one is uh, Queen of the Night. Real. That one is fake. That oh, one is fake. Darn. Um, some other excellent ones that are real is uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, duh. Night Fever. Uh, okay. Fly by Night. Ooh. I Love the Night Life. Uh, Day Turns into Night. No. Night to King's Pawn. Yes, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> a hard day's night. Okay. And then Journey to the End of the Night, which is a reference to Journey to the End of the Sea, which is referenced in this Baywatch episode. Hmm. Okay. So it all, yeah. 
It all builds. It all comes back to Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. At the the show that aired before Baywatch, or, well, the 2008, actually, remake, where this is from, it did air after Baywatch, but somehow I doubt they are making a reference to this one throwaway line in an episode of season one of Baywatch. <laughs> right. Maybe right. they are. Maybe? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's been my findings on Bay or on Knight Rider. So let's let's go back to Baywatch for a moment here. So mm-hmm. as we just established, Knight Rider was a big hit. It's also a big hit in Germany, as we referenced back in episode one of this podcast, where uh, America was kind of pushing American propaganda into Soviet countries to counteract Soviet nationalist propaganda. So they were sending in TV shows, and one of the shows they sent in was Knight Rider. So all these Soviet countries were watching Knight Rider. So they were exposed to David Hasselhoff. So on top of that, uh, David Hasselhoff is a musician. and uh, He's a singer. He has actually quite a good voice. Uh, it's very shocking. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing singer. Um, he really is. So his popularity first started in Austria. Uh, his album Night Rocker hit number one in Austria, and that took him just huge heights over there. And then in 1988, he took an old German song, which I might butcher this, is Auf der Straße nach Süden, uh, which translates to On the Road to the South. And he made okay. it his own and called it Looking for Freedom. Uh, and mm. it then hit number one in West Germany and stayed there at number one for eight weeks. It was the number one hit single in Germany. Now, wow. note that I said in Germany, because by the time that the end of the year hit, it was Germany, sort of, because West Germany... And East Germany had a thing happen in 1989. So, <laughs> on November 9th of 1989, the East German government announced that, East, that citizens of East Germany could finally go back into West Germany. Um, and, of course, this started the German reunification, which really happened in October of the next year. And the Berlin mm-hmm. Wall would start being taken down the next year and finally fully be taken down fully in quotes in 91 but a month and a half after november was new year's and Mm -hmm. on new year's eve 1989 there was this show uh it's it's called the sylvester show uh it's kind of like you know you're uh you're like you know CNN, like New Year's Eve, end of the year kind of show, whatever, you know, it's it's just their end of the year show, TV show. And David Hasselhoff was booked to be on. And he asked, I, I want to go to the wall. So Hasselhoff, he has his roots in Germany. His last name comes from a German town called Hasselhoff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah, it's just his his name is it has an extra F. That's that's it. <laughs> Um, and about a year prior, he had flown over or a few years prior, he'd flown over Germany. He saw the wall and he was like, just distraught by the living conditions. What he saw that he saw from the plane. And he was like, I, you know, I want to do something. Um, and when he heard the Berlin wall 
or not when he heard about the Berlin Wall, when he when he heard about East Germans being allowed back into West Germany, he was like, I got to be there at the wall. So he performed Mm -hmm. live. He sang Looking for Freedom in front of a crowd. I kid you not of one million people. Um, That is a huge amount of people. Also, someone threw a firework (laughs) at him. Uh, More than one. The one caught on video misses his head. But there's another one that catches his pants on fire that he asked. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it's crazy. But this firmly cemented him in the German consciousness. And be as much as us in America, we like to joke about David Hasselhoff in Germany. Like, it's real. It's fully real. Um, he, He still brings up to this day that he has asked in interviews with Germany about that concert and about his history with Germany. He's even gifted pieces of the Berlin Wall by fans from Germany. He also bought parts of the Berlin Wall. And he gave them two cast members of Baywatch as gifts. <laughs> like season That's one. That's such a weird gift. I know. End <laughs> of end of like season two, gifts to the cast from David Asselhoff were just pieces of the Berlin Wall that he got. Kind of crazy. Huh. But doing all this, he was allowed to then get a financial backing from Germany. And doing this, they brought back Baywatch. So soon they were realizing that a lot of the money that they were going to get was coming from Europe. So there's a figure here that in season two, they were earning an estimated $300,000 per episode from continental Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they were, they were doing pretty well. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I had all these Nielsen ratings. I actually got that from an L.A. Times article I found that was published December 25th, 1990. And it was really invaluable in finding a lot of this information uh, because it was so fresh. Uh, because most of the time when you see cancellation articles about Baywatch, they talk about its final cancellation. Now, sure. so that's that's the history of that. Let's do one more brief thing before we start this episode. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about some of the cast. Yeah. So, Morgan, this is the final episode of Baywatch for... Holly Gagnier as Gina and Brandon Call as Hobie. Oh, I knew that it was uh, Brandon Call's last episode, but I did not realize uh, that it was Holly's as well. Yeah. So Hobie will get a new actor next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this He was actually asked to leave the show. Um, wow. Because he was growing too much. And Hasselhoff wanted Hobie to remain a young kid for a few more seasons. And he was just going huh. through too much of a growth spurt. Uh, so that's why they got a new one. Uh, Gina will not be coming back to this show. So this is like the, the character correct, at all. Correct. Wow. This is a this, weird send off. <laughs> this is also the last episode as a series regular for John Allen Nelson as court. And Parker Stevenson as Craig. Really? Yes. They will return as guests in future seasons, periodically. But this is their last time as a series regular. Parker Stevenson will go on to direct quite a few episodes of Baywatch as well. But really, his main big next big stint in Baywatch is like season seven, I think. Uh, wow. Yeah. So you're getting quite a few people uh, just gone from this show. Huh. That's, that's really interesting because 
There was a feeling, at least to me, uh, in this episode with specifically those two characters mm-hmm. of them having like lost plot armor in a way that I, I don't know. I like genuinely not having known that this was their last like regular episode mm-hmm. uh, on the show. It definitely felt like they were in more danger and more realistic danger than it felt like we've seen from other regulars on the show. So I'd be super curious to know, and I don't know that we'll ever be able to know this, if they knew at this point that the two of them weren't going to continue as series regulars. I mean, I assume not because they assumed at this point that the show was canceled. From what I, from, I'll have to look into this more. From what I remember reading, Parker Stevenson kind of knew. I think he was kind of uh, done. I don't think John Allen Nelson knew. Um, mm. but, and I mean, they get, you know, more hunks later, but I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he really knew as, as much. Um, uh, of course this means that we still have Billy Warlock and we still have Erica Leniak, uh, mm-hmm. in the show. Um, but with that in mind, let's finally start the episode. Yeah, let's do it. We... Start off possibly the horniest that Baywatch has ever started an episode uh, with Thorpe telling Shawnee, so we wanted wood. Naughty Pine would be nice. (laughs) Um, As he tells her about the history of lifeguard towers and how they used to be plastic, but now they're wood. Because Shawnee doesn't care. Why though? Oh, my God. I'm just now realizing. Yep. Because the the polyethylene that they used to use to build these towers gave off toxic gases. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I forgot I forgot that this show doesn't know how to do foreshadowing. I actually didn't or, realize that until now. Uh, same. <laughs> I don't even know if it's intended to be that, but maybe it feels it is. like it. Maybe it is. Uh, he does say work with me, McLean, this is history, and maybe he's telling us too that we should be listening. But uh, could be. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's that. But, it you could know, be. I will say I will say, honestly, if this is supposed to be foreshadowing, this is the best the show has ever done it foreshadowing. Yeah, that's because actually pretty good because we didn't pick up on it. Like we've yeah. picked up on every other one. It's really obvious. This one, if it is, is really subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, you know, to give some spoilers for the end of end of our podcast episode, this episode was noticeably better than almost any other in this season. This was a good episode of television. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, next we go to Hobie and Mitch, who are getting Rocky the dog ready for a portrait. Um, and Hobie thinks that if Rocky wears a ribbon like Mitch wants, then the other dogs will think that Rocky is a creep because Rocky is a boy and boys don't wear ribbons. Um, and I remembered that I hate the nineties. Yep. Um, (laughs) um, when all of a sudden we've got ourselves an earthquake, um, but it's, it's just a minor one. So no real reason to be worried. Well, I mean, Um, there is a painting that falls over a very gaudy one that I wrote. This is true. It has to be Gina's (laughs) painting. Like there's no way this is not something drawn by Gina. This is her style. It's like, what if I took a Rembrandt 
I know. Sorry. What if I took a Jackson Pollock and I fucked it up? <laughs> See, I actually thought it was Al's painting from back in the day. No, Al's painting has like young, like elementary school fish painted on it. <laughs> and remember, it has the big white circle that he needed to, ta- oh, to tandem right. paint. <laughs> this is a finished oh, painting. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's um, not even the painting of like the lighthouse. So I'm like, there's no other important paintings. So it's got to be just a random painting by Gina. Yeah, no, that definitely makes more sense. But yeah, the we get a bunch of reaction shots, uh, including one on the tower where Shawnee and Thorpe are, where Thorpe is like, Shawnee, you're being stupid. Stop worrying about this earthquake. <laughs> and Shawnee's like, but earthquakes are scary. And then she sees someone buried in the sand. Wait, wait, before we, looks- before we even get to that, mm-hmm. I gotta add that I was laughing so hard at this because yes. everything starts shaking <laughs> and Shawnee just goes, earthquake. Like, yeah, yeah. No, like, no <laughs> shit. Like, no shit. <laughs> And Thorpe responds, "Why well, it's just a little shiver, McLean." Which I hate. God. I hate that he says that. And then he mans earthquakes to her, and yes. like, "Don't we're, just remember, Japan was once a part of Fresno." Uh, God, yeah. <laughs> the the first like twenty minutes of this episode, I kept having to pause and laugh because it was so overwritten and silly yeah but it was also like good and fun yeah it was. um but yeah so shawnee sees someone out on the beach who is buried in the sand uh and goes the earthquake turned the sand into quicksand we have to go rescue this woman um so she runs over to the woman I mean, buried in is, the sand that is actually true oh really yeah so she quotes local faction it's a real thing so Okay. In in an earthquake, soil, um, because of the applied pressure to it, can change its state. So a solid mm-hmm. can behave like a liquid. So in that case, it does make soil become quicksand uh, and things drip into it. Uh, so that is actually what happens here. They're using real science in this episode. Yeah. I mean, I guess we do see that a bit later on with Eddie mm-hmm. and his truck. Yeah, exactly. But this woman looks way too calm for that to have happened. Uh, way which too is calm or way too dead. <laughs> uh, no, thankfully, in this case, just way too calm. Yeah, uh, because she buried herself because she's pregnant and it takes the weight off, which I don't know. I mean, I've I've never been pregnant, so maybe this is a thing, but it it did not seem like a thing. I'm like, if me. you bury more weight <laughs> on you, doesn't that put more weight on you? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't doubt it's cool and soothing. She did say that. Sure, but sure. Also, get off the goddamn beach. <laughs> yeah, get out of the sun. Get into your also, car. Like she's pretty buried in there. So, like, how was she planning? A, how did she bury herself like that in the first place? How did they not um, see it? Also, that too. And also, how was she gonna get out? Oh, well, like, that's, that's that's for the babies to push out. <laughs> Just a baby pops out, digs its way up, <laughs> looking for freedom. Pull yourself up by the umbilical cord. <laughs> this is what looking for freedom is about. It's about yeah. your goal of escaping 
the sand. Yeah. God. <laughs> also, how did she not notice the earthquake? I mean, okay, there's just so many yeah. questions here. Yeah. Um, but so Shawnee and Thorpe go running over to this woman to go save her. And Thorpe is like, hey, I don't think she needs saving. And Shawnee's like, no, she definitely does. And starts like digging this woman out. And the woman's like, uh, hey, please don't. I, I want to be here. This is a, this is a thing I did on purpose. Um, and then explains that she's pregnant and that the sand is cool and soothing, which is weird because I always thought that sand was coarse and irritating and gets everywhere. Mm. But, you know, um, that's, a, that's a great reference <laughs> for a movie that I don't think you've seen. I absolutely have. OK, good, 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 <laughs> good. <laughs> eh, I don't know. Eh, good. Eh, you know. Bad, bad. <laughs> the the first Star Wars movie I ever saw uh, was episode three in theaters, mm. um, which was a weird introduction to the Star Wars. Your life is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> I have since seen all of them. OK, so. good. Yeah. Or eh, good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Like, oh, well, that's not true. I actually haven't seen episode nine yet. Oh, I, I, I didn't either. But did you yeah. see the Ewok specials or the Christmas special? I haven't yet, but I want to so bad. We'll watch the Christmas special together. Uh, and the, yes. the Ewok one I remember renting on VHS back in the early 90s. Um, but I don't remember what it's like. So maybe that's worth yeah. watching as well. Anyways, we, we then <laughs> cut to Craig, who was watching a mm-hmm. program that says it was a 5.0 on the Richter scale. Which, not horrible, but... As you Not go up, small. right? As you go up on the Richter scale, it does increase in severity logarithmically. So yep. uh, it's still pretty bad. Yeah the the news is telling us all about this earthquake, and Gina's hiding under the bed, and Craig, uh, much like Thorpe, tells the woman in his life that she is <laughs> stupid for caring about the earthquake, um, and yeah. She says something here I thought was going to be foreshadowing, but it's not. Um, which she says they never should have left New York. So I thought, oh, well, they're clearly going to move back to New York. Nope. Nope. They never go into that. Yeah. Nope. Not at all. But she does say this was a foreshock. Uh, and yep. California will fall into the ocean any minute now. Um, mm-hmm. Seems excessive, but OK. Yeah. I mean, it is a little excessive, but also it's true. Yes. <laughs> like, they're still at big risk of a big earthquake happening. Yes. Um, so, you know. As are we. Yay. Yep. Ain't it great to live on the West Coast? Um, <laughs> I mean, it is, actually. It I is. don't want to move back east. Uh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, at this point, court shows up and... Uh, the three of them were going to go diving, but now Gina's like, hey, actually, I don't want to because earthquake. Um, and so Court and Craig decide they're going to go diving. Um, and then uh, is this when Court mentions that, like, hey, I think there's a crack in your skylight. You should go yes. fix it. And this is why yeah. I think the toxic fumes tower thing isn't a foreshadowing because <laughs> this was so heavy handed. Uh, but yeah. it's not. But it's like you wouldn't have known otherwise. It wasn't even necessary for uh, for them to tell us this, though. Like if someone falls through a skylight, you know, you're it's going to break. 
You know, you don't need yeah. to tell us, oh, wow, I think the earthquake damaged some of your skylight. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's really just an excuse to get her up on the roof, I guess. Uh, that's, okay, that's, you're, you know what? That is fair. That is correct. <laughs> um, but it is dumb. I do agree with that. Um, you know what else because, is dumb? Uh, what? This next scene. Oh, God. Yeah. So this next scene, we're at headquarters and Shawnee and Eddie are talking and Shawnee has the um, really great hashtag deep line of you're taught all your life that there's nothing safer than standing on your own two feet. But we've been lied to um, because she doesn't understand that the phrase don't worry, you're on solid ground is a metaphor. Hey, <laughs> does anyone say don't worry, you're on solid ground? Was that just like an 80s thing that I'm too young to understand? But it it was very dumb and it I was. didn't understand it at all because she makes it out like it's this whole big thing of like, we've been lied to our whole lives the ground underneath us isn't solid. And even Eddie points out, like, this isn't your first earthquake. Like, right. what are you talking about? She Well, she's listening. She's listening to the cloud people who are telling her that, you know, <laughs> don't be on solid ground, be in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And her True. and the other globalists are going to join together um, <laughs> and are going to buy some uh, brain tablets that will help mm-hmm. them realize how to float. Mm hmm. Thanks, Alex Jones. <laughs> um, but then then she has another great line, which <laughs> is the ground isn't the only thing that's shaky around here, Eddie. I'm talking about us. <laughs> Remember when I said this episode was well written? Um, it That's not true for this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, Shawnee is very mad that Eddie hasn't proposed to her yet. Um, And then I became confused how long they had been dating for, because I didn't think it had been that long. Nope. Um, And Gardner spends this whole scene in the background just making like goofy, comedic, big facial expressions. I love that. And it's it's so weird, but it's so funny. Yeah. And then basically Shawnee is like, you need to make a commitment to me. And Eddie is like. Well, but technically, how can you ever really promise that you'll love someone forever? And <laughs> then Garner's Eddie or Shawnee leaves because she reasonably says, that's stupid. What are you doing? And then Garner just gives like vague bullshit life advice about how you said all the things except for the right thing. And it was all the wrong things. And then drives off on an ATV. <laughs> and the scene was so weird. This was, uh, it. this was very much. It's the series finale. Go, go, go. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of this was, yeah. <laughs> Next, we get to go to, uh, Craig and court. Doing some diving. Ooh. Um, and we learn that uh, Craig used to go diving in his bathtub with a pair of sunglasses and a straw, which was fun until his sister pinched his straw, which I I didn't like. <laughs> it, it felt weird. <laughs> yes. Um, but he keeps saying that he 
uh, plunged into a world of adventure. And Court kind of teases him about it. And then we get a soft jazz diving montage. No, first, first, let's add a very important note that a boat comes by. Oh, yeah. And asks if there's any halibut in the water. Um, this is the water, so maybe, probably. Um, but he can't find the halibut. So he tells them if they see the halibut, send them his way, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. I, my first thought was, <laughs> what the fuck was the point of this? And yeah. soon we shall find out. I guess. Sort of. So, I mean, it it kind of doesn't matter. It but doesn't. <laughs> um, next we get a brief shot that it doesn't really mean anything, but I did think it was funny, which is Eddie's driving his truck down the beach and he sees the pregnant woman from earlier, uh, Valerie, as we'll learn later, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of shakes his head looking bemused that she would be walking around on the beach that she would be pregnant i mean yeah that's a commitment and commitments suck (laughs) i truly did not understand why eddie looked so confused by same same i have a lot of dot dot dots (laughs) for this scene yeah i i mean that's basically my entire thought is like eddie what what you doing this is not weird like chill (laughs) um but then we get a scene of Gina calling Hobie after or right before another earthquake happens. Spoilers. Um, and I did think it was funny that they did not bother to record her side of the call. Nope. They only play Hobie's side of it. Uh, Hobie is giving Rocky a bath, but Rocky's looking kind of scared. Uh, and then we learn that Gina was right. This was just the foreshock and the real big earthquake happens. And then we see a bunch of various scenes of panic. Yeah. Um, and they truly spent like an enormous amount of their budget for the entire season on this sequence. Like it was it was good sequence. Yeah, it looks really good. And they destroy just like a whole bunch of shit. They destroy almost all of the Baywatch headquarters. Like everything comes apart. Pipes come apart. Art falling down. Rocks are coming loose. Hobie's falling down. That lease itself, just Hobie falling down, costs another mill right there. Um, (laughs) Mitch grabs a lifeguard and saves him before the ceiling crashes down. Eddie's car starts tipping due to liquefaction. And then Mm -hmm. the big one happens, which is Gina is on the roof and taping stuff. She's taping, mm-hmm. she's taping a skylight, which I'm like, that yeah. blocks the light. <laughs> so maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe yeah. you want to get like a tarp. I don't know. But anyways. This I did not understand because Court's like, hey, there are chips in your skylight. You should go fix that. Okay, that's a reasonable thing. I will tape say. all of them together. <laughs> yes, but specifically, I will put tape on the frame of the skylight. Like, it, I don't know. I had assumed that it was the glass that chipped during this, but I guess maybe it was the frame. Yeah, like that seems weird to me. But what do I know? I'm not. I'm not an architect or anything. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what else we don't know? What we don't know why 
I got nothing, actually. <laughs> but what happens is Gina falls through the skylight while really bad dub noises play. It's oh God. so but she's she's her mouth is not moving. And there's. Yeah. Ah, uh, um, happens. And yeah. then an art piece falls on her. But it was kind of shocking. Like she falls through a skylight, hits the ground oh, yeah. and there's glass everywhere. And I was like, damn, Baywatch got violent. Yeah, I genuinely thought she was dead until they show her moving like because i'm pretty sure she should have been um but yeah no uh some somehow she survives yeah and then they show us actual news footage of some disaster yeah uh, which is really cool because that's not something they've ever done before on this show so they're just showing us like actual footage from california really made it believable well and uh, quotes believable yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering about this as well. Like I was like, oh, this has to be real footage. Like it looks it looks too real for them to have shot this on oh, such a low budget. Like Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a there's a voiceover that says that this is the biggest earthquake in fifty years. Maybe. I don't, I don't fucking know. Yeah, I, I mean I don't know. Uh, they didn't give us a Richter scale for that last one. That's true, that's true. Yeah, how are we how are we possibly supposed to compare it? Um, but from the little bit I do know about orth- earthquakes, earthquakes, orth- um, the orthopedic the quake, <laughs> earthquakes, <laughs> earthquakes is like like the like John Travolta version of earthquakes. <laughs> it's like Battlefield Earth, but oh, which I still haven't seen. I really want. I to haven't see either. We should watch yeah. that. This is this is Battlefield Orf. <laughs> Just like the word Orf. <laughs> oh, I'm not um, gonna stop saying that. Okay, please continue. But yeah, without without a uh, Richter scale measurement, how are we supposed to be able to compare it? But if the if the like foreshock was 5.0, like this must have been pretty big. Probably like, like seven or eight. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and especially just from the amount of devastation that we see. Yeah. I mean, just going off of my experience, having been through a 6.0, this was way more devastating than a 6.0. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The most intense earthquake I've been part of was like, I think it was like (laughs) 2.1, something like that, which is not much. It's I mean, it was weird because like East Coast does not get earthquakes. Um but there was one when I was a teenager, and I very distinctly remember I was, like, sitting at my desk at home in a, like, office chair, and all of a sudden my chair just started rolling across the room, and I was freaking out. Because I was <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Why is my chair moving? Like, um, and yeah, it lasted, like, 30 seconds. It was, like, a two-point-something. Yeah. Um. So I can only imagine what something like this must be to, like, live through. To give you a little bit of context, my 6.0 I went through was the 2001 Nisqually quake. Uh, mm. And I was in front of the Puget Sound Energy power plant on Palmy oh, Falls. So we were watching a guy go by on a kayak <laughs> down the falls as the earthquake happened. And the entire power plant is shaking in front of us because we were on a multi-day away from home field trip in like fourth grade. And um, 
Yeah, it, it caused a bit a bit of damage around here, but nothing like this where it's like all of the freeways are doomed. Yeah. <laughs> the fires everywhere. The pier, that piece of shit pier that <laughs> all of the wood was bad. And remember, because that armored car fell through it. Yeah, uh, it's all on mm-hmm. fire now. And honestly, that's probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But all of a sudden, you know, everybody's they kind of banding together. Shawnee is trying to radio Eddie's car and he's not responding. Mm-hmm. Mitch is trying to get a radio, uh, trying to radio for an earthquake contingency plan, but he's getting the run around. Um, and actually, in this scene, I screenshotted this. We get our first map of all of Baywatch. Of yeah, everything yeah. They, they oversee. There are 18 towers that they show and two, I guess, main hubs at so Baywatch HQ and like a sub hub. So 18 towers is actually quite a bit. Um, so uh, really interesting stuff there. I will probably post a picture of that in the show notes. Um, but then Thorpe decides he wants lifeguards out on the sand. So he sends uh, Dickens. Yeah, something like that. Oh, and and Shawnee. He sends also sends Shawnee. So Mitch then tells Shawnee, just remember, you're not out there to just search for Eddie, but also I hope you find him. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, you know what, I think is the correct response. Oh, yeah, it is. And I, I appreciate that Shawnee as well, like they don't, they don't make her out to be like so incredibly focused on Eddie that she can't think about anyone else. Like, no, nope. like, oh, yeah, no. OK, like, you're right. I shouldn't be focused just on Eddie. I should try and save the maximum number of people. And if I find Eddie, obviously save him. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, after, you know, Mitch and Thorpe coordinate sending out rescue teams, um, we get a quick scene where Valerie uh, rescues Eddie from the truck that he is stuck in the sinkhole in. Uh, but then as soon as she pulls him out, she goes into labor, mm-hmm. which I, I, I've complained a lot in the past about how I felt like Baywatch by virtue of being this like very hyper serialized show in an era before like true week to week continuity often felt like there was a complete lack of stakes because you knew that basically everything was going to be erased next week because mm-hmm. the assumption was not that you were watching every single episode. Right. This plot line in particular, I thought nailed like intra episode stakes in a way that I haven't seen on Baywatch before. And I was genuinely very impressed. Yeah, this episode was, again, it was quite good. I think you'll find that our end of episode ratings are, are high. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but next, Cord and Craig. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about this scene a little bit because they Please. come out the water uh, and they watch um, a very bizarre scene uh, with the halibut boat from earlier where the guy is standing on the top of the boat and he just falls. It's like really weird yeah. shot. Like there's yeah. people like laying over looking like dead. And there's just this guy who looks like I'm holding on and then he just fucking falls. And they're like, wow, maybe there's a problem on that boat. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there is. If a guy's just falling <laughs> off of it, it's really badly shot. Uh, yeah. No, I but, have that specific thing called out in my notes as well. Of like, oh, this this was dumb. Yes. <laughs> and so they they cycle between that and then back to Eddie and Valerie. And he's setting mm-hmm. up a place for her to lie down. And they go back to the boat and they get on the boat and everyone looks just fucking dead. So mm-hmm. Actually, my note is everyone on a halibut boat looks fucking dead. Next line. <laughs> Turns out they are fucking dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I had and that same thought where I wrote down like everyone on the boat is either dead or knocked out. Oh, they are dead. <laughs> yes. And so <laughs> then they throw out, oh, it smells like rotten eggs. So I wonder mm-hmm. what that means. But then mm-hmm. we cut back to Gina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where we establish what I was hoping would be a much more interesting plot line, which is that she wakes up on the floor trapped under her weird metal statue and the phone is just out of reach. And there's shards of broken glass everywhere. And I was hoping that we were going to get Saw here. Little uh, little <laughs> Saw prequel in our Baywatch. But you are violent. <laughs> Listen, I'm not normally one for like super gory horror movies. They don't do much for me. But the Saw franchise is... I want to correct that. The first Saw movie is genuinely very good. Second... Yeah, two and three are are decent, and then I got like partway through four and gave up because it was dumb. Um, I don't <laughs> think I could have watched. Somehow I'm okay with deathmatch wrestling, and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna take gusset plates, which are literally like the blades that they use to uh, put like um, uh, ceiling panels, not ceiling mm-hmm. panels, but like roof panels in. Uh, I, I'm fine with watching someone stick that in someone's face, but saw <laughs> where they just cut off a limb and it's really like overproduced. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not cool. I'm not cool with that for some reason. <laughs> I no, I can I can totally understand that because saw saw feels so visceral. Like it's it's shot in this very like I don't want to say realistic way because that's not quite true, but in this very like emotionally engaging kind of way, which Mm. is part of what I like about it. I also think it's one of the smartest written horror movies, quite frankly, um, that I've ever seen, um, which is not like, you know, you think of Saw as this like, okay, there's 27 Saw movies and all (laughs) of them are the same and they came out on Halloween every year. Um, Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. There was a solid like, eight or ten year run where every Halloween there was a new Saw movie. Um, I didn't know there were that many. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. There's so many of them. I only um, knew there were four. So, I mean, eh. yeah, I I want to say there's at least ten. Um, let's, let's let's look it up right yeah, now. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> OK, let's see. We're going to search Saw franchise. There are nine feature films and there are also some short films and there's a comic yeah um there is saw two so so saw one saw two three four five six 3d jigsaw and spiral (laughs) then there spiral is actually coming out may 21st this year oh um and then there's a short film which is saw point five huh and then uh, there is Saw the Video Game, 
Saw <laughs> Rebirth, the comic book. Saw The Ride, uh, which is a roller coaster. Ooh. Thorpe Park. Ooh. Wait. Thorpe Park. Really? In the 19- yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also wow. Saw Movie Bites at Thorpe Park. Uh, and then Thorpe Park would also be adding a permanent URL live-action horror maze themed around Saw called Saw Alive. Uh, <laughs> it's, it opened in 2010. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, they also... Uh, Saw... What? Saw Alive sounds like the off-Broadway musical version of Saw, which, don't get me wrong, I want to see so right. badly, but it's a really Saw Alive. <laughs> Saw Alive features six scenes representing one iconic track from each movie to date, although it was no longer permanent era attraction, and it only operated during Thorpe Park's Halloween event called Fright Nights. Uh, <laughs> there's Saw Game Over, which was a 2009 horror ma- maze made by Universal Studios. Uh, then there's Saw, a themed haunted house operated during the month of October at Fright Dome Circus <laughs> uh, in Vegas. Then there's Saw Escape Las Vegas. There's Halloween Fright Nights, Saw Haunted Attraction, and then <laughs> my absolute favorite, Saw Mania. Uh, which is a fan event in New York where they were able to meet the actors, directors, and view props from oh, the films. nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so then uh, the video games, there's Saw, and then Saw 2, Flesh and Blood. Uh, <laughs> and then there's other DLC packs. Yeah, so that they've made yeah. some money. Oh, uh, yeah. Especially, of franchise. especially because the later films in the series are like, you know, it's like Blumhouse Productions. They're spending a million bucks on the entire film. And, you know, maybe it only makes 50, 60 mil, but on a million dollar budget, who cares? Like what I've discovered recently is that so Blumhouse features uh, in most recent years have not been they have not been able to produce everything fully. Mm-hmm. Um so they are now co-producing with, and like, it all comes back around, WWE <laughs> Studios. <laughs> I kid of you not. It, now it's like course. they're making Blumhouse films. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's this. Oh, it's a waking nightmare. <laughs> wow. Anyways, you know what else is a waking nightmare? What? What, Michael? Corden Craig had to jump off of the boat because mm-hmm. this rotten eggs was actually hydrogen sulfide. And mm-hmm. court says this would have killed them. Um, and that the earthquake probably released a pocket of natural gas or broke a pipe or as court also offers or something. Um, <laughs> and so now they're going to go dive down to look for gas bubbles. Um, which also seems like it would kill you. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a smart decision, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, uh, just just as a wording, if I am caught in an earthquake, I also will probably release some natural gas. <laughs> I'm gonna probably going to break a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd break some pipes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'd something, you know. <laughs> Um, Garner's out on his ATV driving on the beach when he finds a kid stuck on a rock and then rescues them. It's actually an impressive scene. Yeah. Like, 
the waves are actually really violent in this scene. And he actually has, you could tell it's Sam and he has to stand up straight and like carry oh, yeah. somebody. It's actually really impressive. And in this, I was researching that Garner is a former, uh, I think he was in the Marine Corps. So it makes, makes sense. sense. You know, like at the actor was, or yeah, I think it was yeah. actually maybe the Navy Corps. And so he, uh, you know, he's got some ability to like go through something like that. But yeah, it was impressive. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think overall, like, you know, like we said at the beginning and like we're saying again now is that like truly they spent considerably more effort on this episode than on almost any other episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Garner Garner gets the kid to safety, thankfully. Um, and... Then we get another quick shot of Craig and Court uh, after they've dived out of the boat. They find the hydrogen sulfide vent in the ocean floor. And I, so I'm willing to uh, admit that I may have missed something because that would not be a first for me. Mm -hmm. um, why? Why didn't they just leave? I, from what I, didn't I understand. understand. <laughs> <laughs> their their point was to prove where it is so they could then tell the Coast Guard and then pinpoint where it is so that they could then do something about it. I, I guess, but it kind of feels like so either either it's going to stick around for a while, in which case you can leave and then find the boat full of dead people and know that that's where it is or at least somewhere nearby or it's going to dissipate quickly, in which case, who cares? Here's a third theory. <laughs> um, and this is, uh, I'm never going to say this sentence ever again in my Ooh. So enjoy this. Oh, yeah. This reminds me of a Jeff Foxworthy joke. Okay, where are we going with this one? <laughs> <laughs> the Jeff Foxworthy joke is he's like, there's this classic thing of like dudes going like, Oh my god, that's the worst smelling thing I've ever smelled in my life. Yo, Tom, come here, you gotta smell this shit. <laughs> and then he's like, oh my god, that's foul. Hey, John, you gotta come over here and smell this. And that's what they're doing right here. <laughs> yeah, that actually entirely checks out for the time period and their personalities. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, ni it's 1990 flat, you know, it makes yeah. sense. Oh, man. Yeah, we're right in the age of like MTV and, you know, irony being a big thing. Yeah. Irony. That's when uh, <laughs> that's when you like uh, aren't anemic anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. OK, good. Yeah. The two of them are diving to find the strategic iron reserves in the oceans so that they can well, stop being anemic. They just want to donate blood. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh now we go back to Gina and we get to see Jigsaw's first trap, which is shards of glass raining down from the skylights towards Gina's face, which she thankfully manages to avoid. But and, not after the scenes asking that she asked them to not fall on her. She's like, yeah. Follow me. Please don't follow me. Please don't follow me. And then it goes, oh, don't move. Don't move. Don't move. And then it does. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's badly written. Yeah. It's not great. Like I get that. She's like panicked. Like, absolutely, I would be too. But A, A, she's way too unharmed 
for everything that has happened, which is she fell through a glass window to the floor, probably, what would you say, 15 feet down? Yeah, um, something like that. And then had an enormous bronze statue fall on top of her. And she's just like, oh, no, this glass shouldn't fall on me. That would be bad. <laughs> ah. mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I was not super impressed with her acting in this episode. I got to say, nope. Um, But now now we go back to the headquarters and specifically to the med bay where all of the beds are full of kids and. Garner's dropping off the kid that he rescued from the waves. Um, and the two of them banter briefly about the fact that earthquakes are bad. Um, and then Thorpe is like, hey, Mitch, you should go out on a chopper to look at all the towers that we haven't heard from and scan the beach. And Mitch is like, but I haven't heard from Hobie yet, and I'm worried about him. And Thorpe is like, I understand, but I will let you know if Hobie calls, which... I actually, I think is the best thing Thorpe has ever done. <laughs> yep. All of this scene also, we should add, is Mitch mm-hmm. just throwing Garner under the bus, being like, oh, look at you. You got wet. And Garner, like, wanting to go up in the chopper and being and saying he'll do anything to stay off the beach. Yeah. Uh, and Garner also agrees. And I do like that it's a consistent character uh, of Garner that he just does not like the water and hates the beach. But we don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. The show doesn't bother really giving true characterizations to everyone to anyone. <laughs> I, I assume we'll get a backstory at some point in this show. I assume maybe I don't know. Assuming I Garner hope. sticks around. <laughs> he does. He does. He oh, also okay. becomes main cast. Oh, he also then jumped ship with David Hasselhoff over to Baywatch Nights for two seasons and then back into Baywatch. Wow. So he sticks around. I would not have expected him to be the person who like stuck around for this entire run out of the current cast. Yeah, he's not there for the whole series, but he sure he from what I understand, he's there almost along like seasons wise as maybe like Pamela Anderson is. Wow. Okay. Yeah, if if not longer. So yeah, he's there for a while. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad they keep at least one person of color on the show for a bit. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> so it's I mean, it's such a white show. But uh <laughs> Morgan yeah. This is two white guys watching yes. Baywatch. Like oh, yeah. yeah, no shit. <laughs> um Mitch and Garner head out on the chopper to go start looking for everyone else at the towers, see what's going on, give Thorpe some better intel. And then we cut back to Gina's place where Hobie is showing up with Rocky and Gina's like, do not walk close to me right now because the last shard of glass from the skylight I fell through is about to fall on my face. Uh, And so Hobie is good about not doing that but then, no he walks over to her <laughs> well he he does he walks close to her and then gina's like whoa hold up and then he stops for a bit and then rocky shows up then, and just starts barking at the glass um yeah and both of them then, are freaking oh, out <laughs> but then hobie goes back and he tipped but he tiptoes over like shaggy does in scooby-doo <laughs> but he still goes back it's like hey don't come yeah. over here okay now come over here <laughs> yeah 
I mean, but I think it was a like, hey, don't just come like galumphing in and you I'm know. sorry, like what word? Galumphing. You know, no, just that's like, not a like, word. It's not a galumphing. word. No, that's not a word. It can't, it's like it can't uh, just... it's like it's like when you go somewhere and like it's like when you go like walking, you you galumph. Exactly. No, that's that's called walking hard. <laughs> or it's called Down stomping. Lives. It's stomping. That there's galumphing <laughs> is not a word. Mm, don't don't. Mm, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, uh, how do you spell <laughs> galumph? Uh, G A L U M P H. Uh, hmm, galumph. I feel like it might be from like wow or something. Uh, it verb informal, move in a clumsy, ponderous, or noisy manner. Yep. Wow. Okay. This, I can't. <laughs> oh, you know what it's from? What? It's um, galumphing. Would you like to know the, the language root of it? Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, the language root is uh, Jabberwocky. Oh, uh, and if you don't know what Jabberwocky of is, course, of it's course, the fucking course. language in, in Alice in Wonderland. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because galumphing is a word invented by Lewis Carroll. Yes. Right, that's what it is. I knew it was from some, like, 1930s fantasy bullshit, but I couldn't remember which one. <laughs> it's a fantasy bullshit. <laughs> Actually, kind of. It. Anyways, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I like... He galumps. I, yeah, exactly. You, I, you like, like I like Alice in Wonderland, don't get me wrong, but it is some fantasy bullshit from the 1930s, I think. I don't know when it was written. Yeah, reading about <laughs> Lewis Carroll made me not like it, because he's yes. a creep. Oh, yeah. Dude, dude was a weird pedophile who did a lot of acid. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyways, <laughs> they they Hobie helps move the weird bronze statue off of Gina, mm-hmm. and they watch the glass fall, and they move in time, saving Gina. Uh, and that's that. Yeah. Line. That's that's yeah. That's pretty much all the screen time. Gina gets for uh, the rest of the series, apparently. She's briefly in another scene later in this, but like, yep, it's a bye bye off. <laughs> Adios. Uh, but next up, we get Court and Craig diving deeper into a cave. And and I don't understand what their plan is. No, there, this... there is no point to going to <laughs> yeah. this cave. <laughs> it made no sense. Just swim up. And yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and Court's like, if we stay in this cave for more than an hour, we'll breathe in all the toxic gases and die. And Craig's like, OK, that seems bad. So let's leave. Um, but why did you come in here in the first place? But whatever. Um, but now it's time for the third earthquake. And fourth earthquake. Fourth. Yeah. No, third earthquake. Yeah. Oh, yes. The third earthquake. Yes. <laughs> Not the third or fourth quake. The no, fourth quake. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, in like a week, I'm just going to be walking around going like fourth, 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 fourth to refer to earthquakes. And yes. I'm, I'm going to blame it on this podcast. You're going to be galumping around. <laughs> Forcing around, around <laughs> talking about earthquakes. Mm-hmm. 
Thorthquake. Anyways, um, yeah. So the the Thorthquake happens, and they get trapped in the cave. Um, yep. It also busts Craig's tank. Yeah, yeah. So they're down to only one tank of air, and now instead of an hour, they only have half an hour for reasons. No, uh, from what Court says, they have three hours. Oh, I thought he said thirty minutes. I could be wrong. Uh, from what I heard, it's we only have an hour. Then they go. We probably have three hours. <laughs> Look, when you have less air, it means that your time is longer or something. Yeah, yeah. But then, and this is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Court says there is a way out, mm-hmm. but. It involves leaving our mortal bodies here. So what Court is saying here is that he implies that there is a way out and it involves astral projection. And I am all for the fucking show that is Baywatch, but astral projection. Can you fucking imagine that shit? That's going to be crazy sci-fi. I hope that's Baywatch Nights because I did learn there is an episode of Baywatch Nights where Mitch has to get it, do an exorcism because there's a spirit possessing bodies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I need this. Like, now. <laughs> like, yeah. I need this yesterday. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It does. Oh, my God. Baywatch. Um, Once we get to season five, we're going to go straight into Baywatch Nights. We're gonna I skip. can't wait. We're going we're gonna to do two seasons of Baywatch Nights, maybe then come back to Baywatch. Probably. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm so I'm so excited. Say say. It sounds so wild. It sounds so good. By bad I mean bad. Yes. Uh the other the other thing that I thought was interesting about this scene is so when they get trapped in this cave, Craig's first response is like, "Hey, we should try and find an escape." And Court's like, "No, we should just die." Like <laughs> he just immediately gives up. You idiot! <laughs> After you have hope, <laughs> but all throughout this entire cave scene, both of them are just super chill. Like, yeah, they're just kind of like, well, "I guess we should find an escape." Eh, maybe not. Like at one point, Court says, "Eh." I'm pretty sure I'm about to end up somewhere a lot warmer, which was like, dog, you think you're going to hell? Like, and you're just like <laughs> casually like, yeah, don't worry about escaping this cave. I'm going to be in hell soon. Like, I mean, he, what? It probably, he, he might be. He's kind of a dick. Sure. I'm not disagreeing with that part of it. I'm disagreeing with the fact that he's just like, yeah, you know, it's another Tuesday. I'm trapped in an underground cave full of poisonous gas. and I'm going to hell. Like... <laughs> I I want that printed on a t-shirt. I really badly want. Oh, it's another Tuesday followed by that. Yeah. <laughs> but now uh now we leave the two of them in their poison cave for a little bit. And now we go to Eddie and Valerie uh where they finally exchange their names. Um and they're in one of the towers. And Eddie is very stressed about all of this, but Valerie, Valerie's chill um, and just wants Eddie to talk about really anything at all to distract her from the fact that she is actively in labor during multiple earthquakes, stuck in a tower with an emotionally immature idiot. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So they start talking about Eddie's dating life 
And he mentions that he's dating someone named Shawnee. And Valerie goes, Shawnee? What kind of name is Shawnee? Which was like, yes. What yes. the fuck? Excuse me? <laughs> also, like, Shawnee's not a common name. Sure. But that's such a, like, that's such a shitty reaction to learning someone's name is like, what the fuck kind of name is that? Like, well, Valerie <laughs> shows herself from here on out to just be kind of a dick. And I'm kind of about it because in this scene, first off, she asks Eddie to stay and she's like, let's talk about stuff. And he's staring at her and she's like, don't stare at me. It's making me nervous. Uh, she tasks, she chastises him for being boring and having nothing to talk about. And then she picks up on his love life being in shambles and she goes, oh no, we're going to talk about this. And I'm like, holy shit, here's someone actually just making Eddie feel uncomfortable. And I love it. I kind yeah. of love it. I am all about like, you know what? If you are pregnant and in labor in a lifeguard tower during enormous earthquakes with no one but an emotionally immature 20 year old boy. That's my Tuesdays. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's my Wednesdays. Tuesday is the hell cave day. Um, <laughs> um, you're allowed, you're allowed to be a bit of a dick and, and I forgive you for that. Um, yeah. but it, yeah, it was very weird that just out of nowhere, she's like, there's one thing I hate. And that is weird names for people I've never met. Um, well, she has actually <laughs> met, but doesn't know it. Uh, not quite yet, right? Liquefaction, remember? Oh, no, she's actually just intensely burying herself in the sand. Oh, right, right, yeah, duh, she did meet Shawnee. Yeah, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. duh. Um, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, right. So that it's but, even weirder. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, it is fair. Shawnee is an odd name. Sure. Um, especially an odd American name. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, she's kind of a dick about it. Yeah. Uh, next up, we get a quick scene back in the underwater cave where Craig and Court start to accept that they might die soon. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a like, but they deliver it in such like cool, calm, collected tones of voice. And it was very weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get uh, Mitch and Garner in a helicopter who are giving plot exposition. I mean, sorry, a report about uh, what's happening on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we get to see the the pier again is on fire. Fuck that mm -hmm. place. It's all old wood anyways. The armored car would be is smiling down in hell um, <laughs> along with future court. <laughs> Do you think Court and the armored car would be best friends? I think they would be. They're hell buddies. Yeah, I feel like that's the Knight Rider spinoff that I want to see is Court and that armored car. I think that's my good place spinoff. <laughs> I mean, I would watch that, too. Absolutely. They should have had John Allen Nelson on the good place as. Yeah. As Satan. Yeah. Oh, man. I, they should. Someone get on that. Anyway. <laughs> um, next up, we get uh, another scene with Craig and Court still just chilling in the cave. And Court recounts the plot of a TV show called Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, uh, mm -hmm. which is, as we talked about like an hour ago, um, 
referenced by the Knight Rider remake in Journey to the End of the Night. Sure um, is. Mm-hmm. In that episode of Knight Rider, though, are there evil sci-fi brains that can possess people? You know, I don't know, and I am wishing I had looked it up now. <laughs> yeah, because there is in this story that Court is describing. Yeah, it's a very weird story that he's describing. He's he's absolutely describing some old pulp. Like, that's, that's oh, what it yeah. is. For sure. Some, like, pulp show that of uh, just some schlocky monster flick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do, I do love a good schlocky early sci-fi. Um, oh, yeah. And I did just look up Journey to the End of the Night, and it's about drag race smuggling, which I, I don't understand what that means, but... It honestly sounds right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it very much does. I might watch it, if we're yeah. being honest, if I can yeah. find it anywhere. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll be able to find it. Yeah. At this point, Mitch and Garner in the chopper, they talked to Thorpe on the radio and talked to Hobie finally. So Mitch knows that Hobie's alive. And Thorpe is like, hey, you should go find Craig and Court because they haven't radioed in yet. Mitch is like, I thought you didn't want me to do that. And then Thorpe is like, well, you said the beaches are empty. So now it's time to go look for them. And Mitch is like, cool. So uh, Mitch and Garner in the helicopter find the boats from earlier and then start to go in for like a not landing, but a, a Mitch jumping out of the helicopter into the water um, again. <laughs> which is just uh, i love all the times mitch jumps out of a helicopter it's always so dumb and it's, it's always I, I just love mitch jumping anytime he jumps he jumps yeah. out of a helicopter he assassin's <laughs> creed jumps onto a warehouse just like all great stuff yeah but yeah thankfully they uh they noticed the dead bodies on the boats just in time and mitch is like hey there's toxic gas we should not be here well, that's not why he he notices the the sheen of oil on the ocean. Yeah, means that there's toxic gas on the floor rising up. Yeah, he he notices that as well. But his first like clue is that oh shit, everyone's dead. Well, he was like, everyone's dead. Let's go touch them. And then he's like, <laughs> no, let's not touch them. There's an oil sheen. <laughs> yeah, which there very much isn't in the episode, and it was distracting to me. There. <laughs> kind of is in the remaster oh interesting yeah there's nothing it's in the like original. a darker purple oh, okay but yeah garner radios headquarters to tell him what's up and then mitch dives in um from slightly higher up and now it's safe i guess um yep. and at this point we get a shot of craig and court who have run out of their air tank um which is perfect because Mitch shows up at the blocked cave entrance and shines a flashlight through it and Craig and Court make themselves known. So Mitch heads back to the chopper to grab waterproof walkies and give one of them to them. Which honestly, like I was like, okay, that's actually the smart continuation yeah. of where the story goes. I, yeah, I totally agree. I think this plot line for the most part is actually pretty good. Yes. But then we go back to Eddie and Valerie um, and he's telling Valerie a whole story about how he doesn't want to commit to Shawnee, um, and that that's a good thing, actually, because you'd never know if you can actually really commit forever. Ugh. Uh, and it, it was just the worst of the, like, shitty 
dude writing. Um, but well, it, Eddie's supposed to be bad. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, to be clear, I think it is well written. It just made me angry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and Valerie is like about to give birth. Like, yes, she is like minutes away at this point. Um, and then Shawnee shows up because she's like, I've been listening to you for a while, which is pretty shitty when there's a woman about to give birth. And no, she said not a while. Oh, OK. I must have misheard. Yeah, <laughs> it's the opposite of that. <laughs> he, said, he, he goes, how long have you been here? And she goes, not that long. Oh, OK, but basically she shows up and tells Valerie, hey, just so you know, uh, the paramedics won't be able to get here anytime soon. And then we cut away. And I was like, really? Like, that's the one bit of info it's important to convey here is that don't, you know, don't worry. No one's coming to help you. I guess. Yeah. Technically. It just it just felt like a shitty thing to say to the pregnant woman stuck in a lifeguard tower. Like, you can be like, help is on the way and we will take care of you until then. Which is true. You don't have to be like, well, no one's coming. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess so. Um, but now now we go back to Mitch, uh, who says that the only way to get Craig and Court out of the cave is to blow up the opening to the cave. And everyone points out that this is a really dumb idea because the cave is full of explosive gas. And Mitch is like, well, fucking you got better options. And everyone's like, no, nope. And Mitch is like, OK, cool. Explosion time. Um, <laughs> Which honestly, like, he's not wrong. Like, oh, yeah. he'd be dead anyways. No, I, I do actually completely agree with him in this scene. I just thought it was a funny way that they, like, framed it narratively oh, yeah. in the show. Um, but then then uh, it's it's baby time. We go back to Valerie and Eddie and Shawnee. And Valerie is is having her baby as Shawnee delivers and Eddie holds her. And Eddie has the weirdest fucking expression okay, come I'm over his face. That you agree with me on this. I was so weirded out by it. It was I didn't like looking at it. He's he's like he has that sort of weird smile where he's like never yeah. like the first time figuring this thing out. Like he says, amazing, a baby. <laughs> That is a baby. That is like, literally the line. Amazing. A baby. <laughs> You're having a baby. It's like Eddie just found out that humans give birth. It's the, that's honestly, I, I'm not even joking. That's the way it's framed. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's like, so wild. <laughs> yeah. Which I can kind of imagine that this emotionally immature person also doesn't know where babies come from. That's fair. Like, all, none of his 17 foster families taught him where babies come from. Mm-hmm. So I always just thought it's like, well, when is the stork coming? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, but we uh, we learn after the first kid is born. Uh, whoopsie doopsie. It's twins. She she specifically does this in the most dickish way. <laughs> Shawnee says, "Well, the we'll let the paramedics cut the umbilical cord." And Valerie says, "Umbilical cords. This is only the first." Oh, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and my note here was, I, "My hope is that they're quintuplets just to make Eddie feel bad." <laughs> my hope was that it was the twins, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in the movie Twins. 
but oh, sadly it is amazing. not. <laughs> uh, I was hoping it was going to be the albinos from the Matrix movies. Mm, but those yeah. are computer programs, which would have made this very odd. But I can dig it. Yeah, I I feel like we could come up with a theory where Baywatch is an origin story for the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we could. <laughs> Um, I only say that because I haven't had enough time to think about this ahead oh, of time. Yeah. <laughs> I usually give myself like 10 minutes and then I come up with the whole thing. But yeah, no. Yeah. No, if you if you came up with something quick, someone would be able to blow a hole in it. Just like how Mitch blows a hole in the cave opening and there's a real big explosion. Yeah, I love also the count. I have in my notes on the count of five, five. Four, three, just do an explosion. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, quite a nice explosion. Yes. Yeah. No, it looks very, it looks really cool. Very circular, very plump. Um, mm-hmm. You know, has that good, you know, yolk to it. Yeah. Um, it, it's got it's got little arms on the side, you know, just you could kiss it. Take it home to mama. <laughs> but yeah, after uh, after that explosion. We go back to Valerie, Eddie, and Shawnee, where the second twin just doesn't want to come out for a while. Um, And Eddie thinks if he angrily screams at her, that will help. Yeah. Famously, that's what helps. Um, Mm -hmm. But then we we go back to Mitch and Garner, who are in the helicopter, being like, oh, no, Craig and Court haven't surfaced yet. Um, that is a surprisingly tongue twistery thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh no, did they die? But then they didn't. Um, <laughs> Garner is kind of like, they dead, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. It's, it's a Baywatch day miracle. And then we get our final scene, uh, which is that we go back to Valerie, Eddie and Shawnee again. Uh, the second twin having been born, uh, Valerie decides to ask Eddie to be the godfather to her children. No, no, no. Before that. Oh? Valerie looks at them both sternly and says, want to do it again? Oh, yeah. Eddie and Shawnee freak yeah. out. Then she goes, no, no, it's just <laughs> twins. And I'm like, you're such a dick. Oh, my God. I actually thought that was very funny. It was like, very good. <laughs> yeah. But then she asked the Godfather. Yeah, after her triplet fake out, she uh, asks Eddie to be the Godfather, which is truly a wild thing to ask this random man that you just met. Um, it's also really weird because, and this is going to be my very short rant here, mm-hmm. which is that Eddie goes, what does that mean? And Shine goes, well, it's somebody who sends presents and sees school plays. But no, it's not what a godfather is. A godfather is someone who witnesses your baptism. Um, oh. But the secularization of America has ruined the <laughs> sanctity of godfathers everywhere and ruined godfather's pizza. Uh, a very good, actually, it's not that good of a pizza yeah. chain. Uh, it's it sucks. But the point is that traditionally, I don't know why I said that word like that. Traditionally, <laughs> a godfather was someone who, under the eye of God, witnesses the baptism oh. of a child, and therefore they are you know 
there for any, any religious issues sure. or to contest someone's baptism. The Godfather is there to say, oh, yes, I have witnessed it. Uh, from there, it then became secularized, but it's really still only a term that's used in Christianity and extremely secular communities. Like, it's not a term that's used in Judaism. It's not a, a term that's used in Islam because mm-hmm. of the baptism connotations. Sure. Yeah, I honestly, like, I mean, I don't have a godfather. My family is not religious at all. I, I honestly never knew what that term fully meant outside right. of, but it's, you it's, know. It's used in a lot of places for people who aren't baptized, who aren't right. you know, Christian. It just, it's become secularized but it is again truly baptismal um but and for shawnee uh it's just you send presents and see school plays and honestly that sounds way worse Uh, (laughs) i'd rather witness someone's baptism than have to give money and see some shitty plays oh man unless unless that play is a play about saw (laughs) yeah as as someone who was in a lot of plays growing up you don't necessarily want to go see a lot of school plays no Um, (laughs) no you don't um but thankfully after eddie agrees to be the godfather and like to be clear (laughs) valerie's been through some shit today so i give her some leeway yeah, and her husband wasn't there for her. Her husband, yeah. Larry, who she wants to strangle, <laughs> she tells us multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a wild decision to just make Eddie the godfather. But uh, at this point, the paramedics show up to take care of Valerie. And so Eddie and Shawnee head out of the tower and start walking down the beach and talking about their relationship. And then Eddie proposes and Shawnee says yes. And then we get a credits fade out. So you want, you want to know a little fun trivia? Please. This proposal mm-hmm. is never brought up again. I am not surprised by that. <laughs> Except for. Oh. In season like eight or nine. Wow. Eddie comes back. Do you want a spoiler? Sure. They were they do get married and then they divorce and Eddie comes back single. Okay. Is the divorce, like, on the show? No. Oh, that's weird then. Nope. Uh, when, so, Eric Leniak and Billy Warlock will leave the show together at some point. Uh, and then Billy Warlock will come back, like, a single episode or two in Baywatch Nights, and then, like, a single episode or two very late in, in Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when he comes back late in Baywatch, it's like, oh, yeah, Shawnee and I didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of to reflect the fact that Erica Leniak and Billy Warlock do actually get married and they they were married uh, and then they divorced. Oh, gotcha. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. They may met through the show, fell in love and got married. Huh. I can only imagine Billy Warlock is better than <laughs> better than Eddie Kramer is. God, I hope so. I mean, they are both very attractive people, so it makes sense. But like, huh. Oh, yeah. So that was the season slash series, mm-hmm. but not really yeah. finale of Baywatch. Morgan, we have our, our ongoing scale. Mm-hmm. A one is you're walking along a beach. It's very muddy. Mm-hmm. And you're stepping along the beach. Glomping. <laughs> glumping. Glumping. 
gull up thing <laughs> along the beach and there's twigs and there's like candy wrappers and maybe there's like a needle somewhere and eh, it's just not great it's not a great experience every time sure. you take a step like it just steps into your to your feet and no no one likes that and at 10 is sniffing the hard abs of david hasselhoff slash mitch buchanan where would you rate this episode i i'm gonna give this a pretty high rating um and i I would preface this by saying that it's the highest rating I've given out, but I actually don't know if that's true because I don't remember what I've rated almost literally any other episode. I think I know what your highest rating is. So let's see. What oh, OK. Here. I I would give this episode an eight. Um, that is not your highest. Rating. <laughs> that actually surprises me. I think I was too generous on this show when we first started. <laughs> Yes. Um, I would call an eight the feeling of trying to do a little home repair. And uh, maybe it doesn't quite go the way you wanted, but, you know, it all works out in the end. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of nice, except for uh, as we learned from Baywatch and home repair, just it never, ever goes. (laughs) Except for sometimes you get to kiss Jenny Lewis, I guess. That's true. Um. But she is 14, so there is that problem. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Hobie is between 12 and 15 at that point, so it's not <laughs> as be- weird. It's between 7 and 15. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, we're kind of not clear. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Michael? What's your, uh, what's your rating for this one? I'm going to give it a 9. Wow. And uh, now a 9 is... This scale is not based off of all television shows ever. Uh, There are clearly other things that I have watched that I like a lot more than Baywatch and think are better than Baywatch. Yeah. But for this show, this is like a nine. This is not like the perfect episode of Baywatch, but this is pretty darn good for what I would want out of a Baywatch episode, I think. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Yeah, and I think a nine is... Yeah. You're going to hate me for this. Let's oh. See. I think you're just going to hate it because of like, does he ever stop talking? Uh, <laughs> so uh, a nine is the same experience that I had the other day where I was re-listening to some albums. I was making a playlist for someone for their birthday Um because they asked me to, and because we're we're stuck in 2002. And um, I decided to re-listen to an album that I previously uh, wasn't too keen on. Um, and I started to listen to some parts of it, and I was like, wow, the first few songs, they're a nine. Like, they're great. And then the album just dips and it's like it's like a four and that specific album is by marnie stern and the album is called this is it and i am in you are it and so is that and he is it and she is and it is and that is that okay and uh i mean pitchfork rated it the 44th best album of 2008 that's like (laughs) that's like rating the shit i had three hours ago the second best shit of the day like it doesn't mean anything (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, and 
So I listened to this album and I was like, oh, there's some good finger plucking in here. Oh, my God. That part's cool. And then I'm like, all of this actually sucks. Um, so really, this episode was like that first few songs of that album where I was like, man, there's some damn good stuff in here. Um, but I think if I kept on, you know, watching it and reading into it, I'd be like, oh, it's going to sink down to like a seven or a six. Mm-hmm. So uh, I only watched this episode all the way through twice as uh, I normally do that. But uh, I rewatched it today. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's a lot better than I was expecting it to be, honestly. Um, and I think it's a pretty good cap off to the season. But if we think of it as a series finale, this would have been so confusing. As yeah. A series finale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this would have made absolutely no sense. But that's because it's like it's a cancellation. Cancellations aren't supposed to really make sense. Sure. Uh, sure. And I am glad it comes back for season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, our podcast would be a lot shorter if it didn't. <laughs> well, I don't know why we would have cho- actually, honestly, me choosing to do a podcast on a one se- series, one season TV show about lifeguards. Yeah, that checks it's out. It's sound like a thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like that. And like, yo, Morgan, let's do like, actually, God, I'm trying to think of a Michael, one season show. Michael, but. our first our first idea for a spinoff was to do a podcast on the six episode miniseries, The Slap. We would yeah. absolutely review one season show about lifeguards. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, we would. Uh, and I kind of wish there was a sequel that was that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that sequel is Baywatch Nights. Um, True. I do hope everybody's had a great time listening to us this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be back for season two. We'll be back for season three. We'll be back for every season because you this know is it. our life. Yeah, I, I don't know it. But I do deep down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have some exciting more things left this season. We sure we do. we go to season two. Um, but uh, I do I do just also want to say that I honestly came into this show not expecting much. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily get much. However. <laughs> <laughs> however. I've grown to love this show. Um I I do sincerely love this show just for this like weird nostalgia and its tryhardness uh and it's just campiness and its ability to like distract me from everything else that's going on. You know, not everything has to be, you know, me watching season five of the expanse, or it's just like, oh my god, everything's going to shit. There's so much tension. It's like some some weeks I just want to, you know, watch um, you know, people fishing for sharks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. I just want to I just want to watch Mitch be a dad. You know, I just want to watch something that really doesn't require that much effort. And the show has been kind of perfect for that. Yeah, I think I feel very similar to you in in a lot of these regards where, yeah, I I mean, my expectations for this show coming in were nothing <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> um well, uh, some would say even less than nothing yeah and and in all fairness um the show has a couple times even failed to live up to that um yes. <laughs> but yeah overall i i truly don't regret having watched an entire season of baywatch now again in fairness 
I think I might feel differently if I wasn't enjoying recording this podcast so much. Yes. Um, same, definitely, same, same. definitely helps. But yeah, I think it's been really interesting. Like as someone who really didn't grow up with TV as a thing in my life at all, um, and who mostly got into shows in the current age of, you know, peak television or whatever you want to call it, where everything mm-hmm. is this like, you know, hyper serialized, very dramatic, multi, not just, you know, continuity from episode to episode, but season to season and these like very in-depth, complex, emotional plot lines, which all of which I love. Don't get me wrong. Wait, are you referring to to Westworld? Because from everything I understand, that's <laughs> not Westworld. Uh, actually, currently I'm referring to Halt and Catch Fire, which I'm finally watching. Um, oh, OK. I heard that's good. It's it's really I'm about to finish season two um, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. But it is it is a very stressful show. And like especially during all of our current everything that is going on. Uh, for mm-hmm. reference, we are recording this January 28th, 2021. Um, so we the are stock market. <laughs> the stonks stonks. <laughs> um, it's been it's been nice to, you know, once a week escape into this like weird bullshit nostalgia vehicle that's just like, what if everything was just on the beach and mostly chill? Like, there's never really yeah. any stakes. Nothing bad's ever really going to happen, except when they randomly killed off Jill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or, or when the Night Puncher just decides I'm going to stab some people. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I think I think overall, like, I'm much more excited to get started watching and recording season two than I think I would have been at the beginning of this. Like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah, the the thought when we started this of recording 11 seasons plus two seasons of Baywatch Nights plus two seasons of Baywatch Hawaii was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can. No, the two seasons of Baywatch Hawaii, I think, are in the 11. But there's also the one season. Yeah, so that like the last two seasons of Baywatch are Baywatch Hawaii. I see. I did not realize that. Yes. Yeah, it makes it easier. Do not worry. Sure. Uh, but there is also the one season of Trouble in Paradise starring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A show, oh, again, just may I remind people, is Knight Rider. But what if Hulk Hogan and a talking boat? Yes. But also Hulk Hogan helps the South win the Civil War. I cannot restate that enough times. Mm-hmm. He helps the South win the Civil War. What the fuck? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting run of episodes for sure. <laughs> but, but as long as Morgan is is down with me to do that, we're mm-hmm. going to do that. Like, yeah. that's like we just it's all the Baywatch universe like that. It's all actually in the same universe. Yes. Like it, it's. It's maybe like I can't think of anything from that time that had multiple spinoff shows that are all in the same universe that also included a sci-fi show. Because like there yeah. are ones where it's like Cheers and Frasier. Sure. But Cheers and Frasier don't have a sci-fi spinoff. Imagine um, if they did, though. Like that would be pretty cool. I would totally watch like Frasier Space Therapist. 
Like that well, sounds amazing. That, that's kind of like just X Men, right? Where because he plays Beast. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Ooh. But but I imagine that the Frasier sci-fi spinoff is mostly just him like solving crimes while mm-hmm. shouting slurs at gay people. Yeah. You know? So maybe it's better that we don't have that. Yeah. Which one of the most surprising things I just want to throw out there, one of the mm-hmm. most surprising experiences of all this, and um, we've mentioned this before through a few episodes, which is how much I appreciate David Hasselhoff now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a actually a really good actor. He's a good singer and also shocked to find out he's a really decent person. Yeah. Um, in researching the whole Berlin Wall stuff earlier, uh, I read some interviews from uh, 2019 with him talking about the Berlin Wall and all that. And he's actually pretty humble about all of it because they keep on asking him questions about like, you have this you know important part in German history. And he, and he goes, I'm not a priest. I'm not some preacher. I'm j- just David Hasselhoff. Like, <laughs> like it, whatever that means to people, it does. But as long as I, you know, I did some part of history and I just was excited to do a thing. Yeah, that's and the, so I did it. I'd also like he's, you know, pretty staunch liberal, uh, which which also helps and has set up different charities throughout the years and such. So it's like David Hasselhoff is really the star of this show. I mean, he is actually. The star <laughs> of the show, but like this podcast is kind of just. Yeah. Me gushing about how much I went from being like David Hasselhoff's a hack to being like, I love David Hasselhoff. Totally. I mean, yeah, my exposure to David Hasselhoff before all of this was like his appearance in the SpongeBob movie and him just like generally being a meme on the internet. Like because of the cheese, the drunken cheeseburger. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that pretty much sums up like my feelings on season one of Baywatch. I think, I think overall, like I would put it, as being solidly better than I was expecting, even if it had some some real low lows. Um, if you could give, just because I do want to think, you know, and we can look back on this. If you had to give this season a rating out of 10, what would you give it? <sighs> That's tricky. Because I think I know what I would give it. I think it's it's tricky because I don't have another season of Baywatch to compare it to. And if I were to compare it to another TV show... I would give it a, a much worse rating. Give it, compare it to what you think it could be. Yeah. I'm going to, compared to what I think it could be, I think I'm going to give it about a 6.5. Like, I was going to give it a 7, so we're around the same. Yeah. I think, I think overall, like, it hit some notes I truly wasn't expecting it to hit in a positive way. And then it mm-hmm. also hit some notes I was hoping it wouldn't hit in a negative way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think overall it stayed mostly on the side of being between good and inoffensive, which is about the best I can hope for. Yeah. It it never truly reached the lowest of lows possible. Yeah. Um, Even with a story about Oedipal wet dreams, Mm -hmm. it didn't, you know, reach the lowest of lows. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm sure that once you get into the full TNA, sure. um, you know, parts of Baywatch, maybe it will. But 
maybe it'll just be, hey, this is something to look at, but the rest of our stories aren't about that. I honestly don't know because I don't remember. So we'll have to see where this goes. I just know that I looked at like INDB ratings on a scale over time. And um, the worst seasons apparently are just like the last one and maybe like one in two. Um you know, on average, I mean, it seems like they have some of the same highs. Mm-hmm. You know, every episode has like three or four episodes that are like rated high and the rest kind of sit around average. And that makes sense. And it kind of stays pretty steady as far as IMDb ratings. So maybe this show is just going to continue to be kind of much of the same, which, it, as we mentioned earlier, like it's a great escape. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know. We'll see how I feel in 10 seasons, but at the moment, if it just keeps being, you know, relatively the same level of quality with people swapping in and out, yeah, I'd keep watching that for for another 10 seasons. And I hope that all of you stick with us for another 10 seasons. God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we need to figure out if we ever get merch... And you can prove that you have watched every episode of the TV show along with it with us. We will send you free merch just like I I'm promising you that now because I will pay for it out of my own pocket. <laughs> I, I will pay for merch to get made for you. Mm-hmm. Like if we don't already have merch for you, <laughs> we will we will make the merch for you. We'll do a custom order yeah. and ship it to you. I'm, n- this is not a joke. Like, oh, we're yeah. serious about yeah. this. We may regret this in 10 seasons when we've gotten enormous and our podcasting network has taken over uh, every single RSS feed and also all of Spotify. But at that point, we'll be rolling in that sweet, sweet ad money. So like well, that and also the Hoffnet will have, you yeah. know, taken over and threatened all of society. Um, truly, um, you know, also at that time, uh, we all created the Hoff tricks, which is like the <laughs> Matrix, but Hasselhoff. And inside the Hoff tricks, this is your connection. I thought of it. Mm-hmm. Everyone is David Hasselhoff. Oh. Uh, why would you want to be anything else? It's just a bunch of David Hasselhoff fucking yeah. each other. Absolutely. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and then and like one Billy Warlock who's like <laughs> the virus program in the corner is just like, hey guys, and they're like, we must kill the virus. <laughs> yep. I would, I mean, I, I would read that story. Uh, you just did. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I haven't thought of anything else. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of there not being anything else, I think it's time to bring this episode to a close. We've talked for a while already. So I want to thank you all so very much for listening to not just this episode of Baywatch Rookie School, but all of season one. That is... Or any of season one. Any of season one, yeah, honestly. <laughs> the fact that y'all are listening to this blows my mind in the best possible way. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrapp. And I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. Ew. Hmm. <laughs>